We have uh, been going through and just finished last week the book of 1 Timothy. So uh, this summer, I wanted to, uh, as I've done in the past, and I think other ministers do this as well, they, they will take a break perhaps from a, a, a book that they've been preaching through or, or a theme, and they will go to the Psalms. Uh, you know, summer is that time of year where, you know, it, it gets hot and, uh, you know, we, we think of the need of refreshment. But spiritually, we can become, uh, you know, lethargic as well as we tend to do physically in the summer times. And so the Psalms are very refreshing to us because it, they are full of worship, full of God. And it's exciting to... Uh, to go back to the Psalms and read. And I'm going to look at Psalm 128 this morning. Psalm 128. So listen to the Word of God as I, as I read this psalm. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth... Meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, this is part of a series of uh, a Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Psalm 120 through 134 are these songs of ascents. And like Psalm 127, this is one of those. And it's also called a pilgrim song. And these songs were sung as the pilgrims, uh, the worshipers, made their way uh, to Jerusalem to worship in the temple and to observe the great feasts of Israel. <clears throat> but the psalm was written really, as all Scripture is, for both Old and New Covenant believers. So this psalm is for us today as we have come to worship the Lord. In Psalm 127, we are told that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And now in this psalm, we find uh, the beautiful picture and happiness of the people who are building their lives on the Lord. So if you're not building your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Psalm 127, you're wasting your time. You are laboring in vain. And unless Christ is the foundation of your life, uh, then you are not going to have anything that results in your life that is any, of any lasting value. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, There is no other foundation uh, that anyone can lay, which is laid, other than Jesus Christ. And so when you build your life on the Lord, upon Jesus, and you obey His commands, then you will find uh, the blessing of God on your life here and hereafter. I can guarantee you this morning that if you receive the Lord Jesus, if you know Him, and if you uh, fear the Lord and you walk in His ways, you will be happy. 
Now, I'm not preaching uh, one of those prosperity, health, and wealth uh, gospels this morning. But the, but the text here says that you will be happy. And, you know, there are people out there today who guarantee you uh, such things like if you do certain, follow this program, you're going to get rich. Right? And they make these promises, and a lot of people fall for it. And, uh, you know, and I think that people fall for this because they're desperate, not so much to, for money, but for what they think money will bring them. They're desperate for happiness, and, and they fall for these things. And, you know, and people think that, well, if I could just have all this money and success, then I would be happy. One thing that, that a lot of folks fail to do is, is to go and talk to someone who has all these things and to find out if those things bring real happiness. Because if they did talk to them, they would find out that money cannot buy happiness. That those who, who look to money, look to material possessions uh, to make them happy are, in fact, still empty on the inside. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you accept Jesus, you won't have any troubles. That if you receive Him and follow Him, that life's going to be easy. No, probably will be harder. If you truly follow Christ, it will be difficult. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But at the same time, Jesus said, in me, you'll have peace. So we can, even though we live in a fallen world, even though we, we experience trials and tribulations, uh, many kinds, we can at the same time experience a blessed life, true happiness that the world doesn't know about and that the world cannot provide. So Psalm 128 is, is this ideal picture of the blessed life. Uh, someone said it's the song of the good life. You know, and, and the old commercials, you know, and I hate to say it, I guess it was a beer commercial, right? It doesn't get any better than this. This is this psalm. Sorry about that. Just came to my mind. Um, and though, you know, our lives individually may not fit this picture exactly, uh, you and I can look at this as an example of what a truly blessed life is all about. You know, what is it that you and I are seeking uh, what kinds of things are we seeking after? need to examine that in light of this passage because this is the song of the good life. Well, you know, a lot of people uh, believe in Christ and they look at Jesus and they say, well, Jesus is my ticket to heaven. I've got to have Jesus if I'm going to be saved. That's why he came. And, and indeed, that is true. But a lot of people see this as a trade-off. You know, I'll accept Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. And I'll accept Jesus. I'll, I'll ask Him to be my Savior and Lord. And, 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 you know, it is sort of a trade-off. I receive Christ. I get heaven uh, when I die. But, you know, I have to trade in that, that life of fun that I you know, used to have before I accepted Christ. It's sort of a trade-off. You know, I really want heaven more than I want to go to hell. So I'll trade in all, you know, all the fun in life uh, for that salvation. And I'll just be miserable until I get to heaven. No. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever think that way? Did you ever think? I used to think that way. It's not true. And I pray that through this message, God will change your mind about that if you, if you do think that way. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Yes, yes. 
then come to Jesus. He is the way. He is the only way. Do you want to be happy here on earth? Yes. Yes. I know you do. Then come to Jesus and follow Him. And I'm telling you, the Bible says you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have uh, heaven and joy on earth. You can have eternal life and abundant life. In fact, the only way to have either one is through Christ. You can't be truly happy without Christ. You can't be truly saved without Christ. Well, in verse 1, the psalmist begins by saying, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. And there are two Hebrew words uh, that are translated blessed or, or bless or blessing in the Old Testament. And this word... Uh, can and, and is translated, it's used uh, twice in the psalm, but once it's translated blessed, another time it's translated happy. And happy is an, an accurate and a valid translation of this word. But what it means is to be in a condition or a state of favor and grace with God. Think back to creation. When God made Adam and Eve, uh, the Bible says in Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them. He made Adam and Eve, male and female, and he says he blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth, have dominion over it. This is the picture of blessing. But he placed them, right, in this beautiful garden. Everything provided for them and more. Nothing uh, lacking. They were happy. Life was good. But then they believed a lie. Adam and Eve believed a lie that something was missing that God hadn't really given them everything, that they needed something more, something else. And we, we believe that too, don't we? We think that, that you know, having a, a, a good job and an income and ability to provide for our families and to enjoy uh, family life and, and, and coming to church and worship and these simple things, we, th- we somehow think that's not enough. That is life. That is the good life. And... Well, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. They believed the lie. They sinned against their maker. They rebelled against the one who wanted to bless them and turned away from him. And so what did God do? He says, I'm going to have to curse you. I'm going to have to place a curse upon you and all creation on account of your sin. And so we are born. We are sons and daughters of Adam, and we are born into this world under the curse Our own hearts uh, are affected. We are sinners. We are born under the curse. But Ephesians Ephesians 2 uh, describes what that is like in our natural condition. It says, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were once ourselves uh, conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind. We were by nature children of wrath just as the others. And so without Jesus Christ... Uh, We live life under the wrath of God. We're weighed down by guilt and the shame of sin and the misery that comes with it. It is the opposite of a blessed life. Now, after informing us that by nature we're children of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2 goes on in in verse 4 and declares the following, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. So God did not leave us under the curse, but He has sent His Son into the world 
to save us and to make us alive, to remove the curse. Galatians 3.13 and 14 makes this very clear that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You know, God in His old covenant uh, that He established with Abraham pronounced a blessing. That blessing comes to us today, that same blessing through the Lord Jesus because He took the curse upon Himself. You know, there's only two ways to live life in this world, under the curse or under the blessing of God. You cannot get out from one or the other of those two. There is no third option. But the blessing of God consists, first of all, in the removal of the judgment curse upon our sin and taking it upon Himself in the Lord Jesus. Do you desire the blessing of God on your life? Do you have that blessing? If you don't have it, then you need Christ because in Him alone is the curse removed so that the blessing can be given. You know, we who are in Christ, we who do know the Lord, uh, we do experience still the effects of the curse. The, the, you know, we, we're not in heaven yet. We know that. But to the degree which you and I as believers fear God and walk in His ways, we experience uh, a blessed life. The psalmist said, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. So we obtain the blessing of God by bowing our knee and receiving the Lord Jesus. And how do we enjoy the blessing of God that you have already received initially by grace? By fearing the Lord and walking in His ways. And, and fearing God is not, again, it's something that we have to learn. When you become a Christian... Uh, you don't become automatically mature in your faith. That takes time. That takes a lot of effort. And the grace of God, the growth, we call that uh, sanctification, progressive sanctification. But Psalm 3411 says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You can learn to fear God. And last week we saw that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, of wisdom. But we would also say from this passage today that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true happiness as well. You know, happiness and fear don't seem to go together, but in fact they do. And to fear God is is to respect Him. It is to reverence Him as a holy God who hates sin. Uh, And, you know, we are to walk in His ways. That's a Hebrew parallelism that means, you know, that second phrase fear Him, and then walk in His ways. That's descriptive. It's part of what it means to fear the Lord. But we need to be careful not to misunderstand what this means. Uh, uh, We are to have a healthy fear of God, but an unhealthy fear of God would be to to look at our obedience uh, that if we fall short, that God is waiting to punish us uh, and come down as a cruel taskmaster uh, upon us for every little thing. That's not the way God is. He is a loving Father, and that's how we need to understand our relationship to Him. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit, the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
So we are, we are confident in the love of our Heavenly Father. And for that reason, we don't want to sin. We don't want to disappoint Him. Psalm 112, verse 1, I think, helps us to understand the kind of obedience and fear that God uh, desires from us. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in His commandments. And so those who fear the Lord delight in His law. And so you see that our life is blessed when our duty becomes our delight. And so it's not duty out of, oh, I'm afraid what God will do to me if I don't obey. No, it's, it's I delight to honor the Lord and to do what pleases Him. I have that much respect and love for Him. Verse 1 describes that duty again as walking in His ways. And you know, it, it comes to my mind, and, and occasionally we go on hiking trips, but um, not so much anymore, but some of you do that, and you've done that. And, you know, you picture a trail, right, that has been marked out. You, if you want to go hiking, uh, you know, when I go hiking, I usually look for a map and find the trail uh, that I, you know, and, and figure out how many miles we're going to go and, and how long it's going to take. And, and you, and you know what the name of the trail is, and when you get on that trail, it's usually marked, uh, well marked, hopefully. And you don't consider, and when you go hiking, you don't consider it a burden to have to stay on the trail. In fact, there are uh, many, especially if you, you know, go in the Table Rock area, many who have said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go off of the trail. And uh, it was a big mistake because they got lost and couldn't find their way. Well, so it's good. It's good to have a path to follow. And in, you know, this is God's world that we live in. Think of the world as God's national park. Right? And, and He has paths marked out for us to walk on. And we call these paths His commandments, His judgments, His precepts, His testimonies. And, and these paths are good. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 45, I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. And so as long as we stay on God's path, we can go wherever we want. And, and it's no wonder James refers to God's commandments as the perfect law of liberty. Perfect law of freedom. Those who walk in God's ways will be blessed on their way. They, in fact, they have God himself to walk with them on that path. And this verse says, everyone who fears the Lord. Everyone who walks in his ways will be blessed. Do you want to be blessed? You can. Come to Christ, follow him, fear him, walk in his ways. Well, I want to look just briefly at three particular ways God's blessing comes to those who fear him. First, God's blessing comes to us through our work, through our daily toil and labor. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. When Adam sinned, Part of that curse, as we know, God cursed the ground, and he said, In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. And, and to a certain extent, this is still true, right? It's still uh, work is hard. It's not always fun. It's a burden. But in some measure, the God-fearer will find that, that his work is rewarded and blessed in such a way that he can enjoy it, enjoy the fruits of it. You will eat the labor of your hands. And again, not a promise of ease, not a promise uh, that you won't have to work hard, but he promises that 
our work will be reward. There will be reward. There will be satisfaction in our labor. When you fear the Lord, when you walk in His ways, you will want to work. Because the Bible commands it's part of the fourth commandment. You know, six days you shall labor. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says that we should all aspire to live a quiet life, to mind our own business, to work with our hands. And the world convinces us that if we could only get rich without any effort, then that would be the life. But, you know, it's not true because when we work, when we labor, then we appreciate uh, those things that come to us. And we realize uh, how good God is. So we sense in this verse an attitude of peaceful contentment with the work that God gives us. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't try to do better, uh, try to have a, a job that's more fitting for the gifts and abilities that we have, but to be content uh, for how God is providing for us currently. The simple pleasures of life become the greatest blessings when enjoyed with contentment. And verse 2 says, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Is there anyone who doesn't want what this verse just said? Is there anyone that does not want to be happy, does not want it to go well with them? No, everyone does. You know, Spurgeon said this. He said, a great Baptist preacher said, the happiest state on earth is one in which we have something to do Strength to do it with, and a fair return for what we have. Simple but profound blessings. Are you working, trusting in God, enjoying the labor of your hands? And you will be happy. You, it will go well with you. And if this is not true of you, you say, I'm miserable in my job. I'm not happy. It's not going well. The problem is probably not with your job so much as it is the attitude of your heart. Go back and, and ask yourself, am I really fearing the Lord and walking in His ways? Because His favor and blessing always accompanies that attitude. And remember, yes, uh, work is still under the curse. And, and, and even though we enjoy the fruits of it and the benefits, it's only a prelude and a taste of the eternal feast that is being prepared for us. And so we have much to look forward to in eternity, yes. Next we see from this psalm that God's blessing comes through family life. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Now marriage and family are, are the, some of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. Again, the world would say the opposite uh, often. That marriage is, is, is a terrible thing and, and family is just uh, a heartache and a headache. Uh, but the Bible said you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And that was true even before sin came into the world. And so God made man male and female. He made Adam and Eve. And why? So that they could enjoy uh, human companionship and intimacy at a deep level. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Before the, the fall, man needed a helpmeet. How much more after the fall does man need a helpmeet? Now, not everyone who fears the Lord will be married. Uh, you know, we have to, to say that. We have to understand 
that being single can be a calling of God on your life. The Lord Jesus never married, and he, he lived a full life uh, serving his Father and, of course, laying down his life for us. But, but marriage is the normal path of God's blessing for most of us. And so it is something, therefore, that we should uh, prepare for if, if we're not married, if you're not married. It is something that we should work at if we are married and enjoy. So, young men, uh, you need to be looking for a wife. You need to be getting ready for marriage. You need to also value work so that you will be ready to provide for your wife and take care of her. And several times in Scripture, the Bible refers to the wife of your youth. Uh, And in the Bible, we don't have this idea of putting off marriage for years and years like we do today. Uh, you know, people wait until they're well into to their 30s today to marry. And so uh, don't wait forever. Uh, get married when you're young because the, God intends you to enjoy married life in your youth as well as into your old age. And, of course, in our culture today, uh, young men and to a lesser degree, young women, uh, are, are, they tend to, to put off responsibility and to prolong their adolescence. Uh, So I encourage you, young men, to grow up, to become responsible, to prepare for marriage. Because if you think the good life is hanging out with your friends, playing video games, and being free of the responsibilities of marriage, you're missing it. You're missing it. Look for a good wife. And when you find one, don't look back. Don't look back. Those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways will find a good wife or uh, uh, young women. You will find a good husband uh, if this is your attitude. And you will be blessed in your marriage and the enjoyment of one another's companionship. Well, the psalmist goes on. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. And we automatically think of children, uh, and that's part of that. But Derek Kidner, who's a great commentator on the Psalms, a, a scholar, Bible scholar, he said the vine was a symbol not only of fruitfulness, but of sexual charm and of festivity. And so one of the purposes, yes, of marriage is to, is to have children, but your wife as a fruitful vine is for intimacy, companionship, and for the sharing of mutual love. That's a gift of God. So husbands, your first priority is to love your wife. Dwell with her as the weaker vessel with understanding, giving honor to her wives. Your duty is to submit and show respect to your husband and develop a loving relationship with him. And when a husband and wife uh, grow into this deep and loving relationship with one another, then in that context, when God gives them children, then those blessings will be multiplied. Multiplied. The psalmist says, your children will be like olive plants all around your table. And this is a great picture. I haven't seen, actually, an olive tree, uh, but I, I think they're kind of like crepe myrtles in that the, that the uh, plants grow up all around the base, and we always have to trim those new plants, those shoots that come up around the base of the crepe myrtle. Well, that's the way it is with an olive tree. And so they surround the trunk, you know, the picture of, of children surrounding the table. And, uh, you know, for an olive tree... 
An olive tree has the ability to produce new shoots even after it's been cut down, even after there's only the stump left. And it's the idea of, of, of ongoing uh, or multi-generational uh, blessing. God's intent for the home is that it be a place where Christian uh, families uh, grow spiritually, that children are nurtured in the admonition and fear of the Lord, and that every new generation of Christian parents uh, begin that process anew of passing their faith on to their children. That's what, that's what this, the baptism is, uh, you know, part of what baptism is all about is saying that, that we need to have this generational faithfulness. And as a parent, and as, as you know, as grandparents, if you uh, have that great privilege of being a grandparent, uh, that your influence goes through your children to your grandchildren. And verse 6 says, yes, may you see your children's children. What a blessing to have grandchildren. I don't have any yet. I'm hoping too soon. My oldest daughter being married a couple of years now. So, but it's not just having grandchildren that's the blessing. It's not just having them and great-grandchildren that's in view. Psalm 103, verse 17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. So it's going back here, you see, to the fear of the Lord. If you raise your children in the fear of the Lord, then then uh, your children will raise their children that way. Then you really will enjoy them. So verse 4 says, Behold, thus shall be the man. Shall the man be uh, blessed who fears the Lord? And that word behold is saying, look at this picture. Do you want to see what a life of blessing is? Here it is for the one who fears God. And finally, from this psalm, we see that God's blessing comes to the God-fearer through worship. Uh, the happiness of those who fear the Lord it comes not only from work and from family, but through worship. Verse 5 says, the Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. So God's blessing come from Zion and from Jerusalem. But these are concepts that are a little foreign to us, you know, as Gentiles living in this day and age. Uh, Derek Thomas notes that Zion and Jerusalem in the Old Testament are code words for where the people of God gathered together to worship Him. And so the Lord blesses us in our work and in our families. But we will not recognize His blessing. We will not appreciate it uh, unless we set aside one day in seven to worship Him with His people. You see, when we enter the sanctuary of the Lord, we gain perspective on life. We understand uh, that the blessing doesn't come from our own hands. It doesn't come from other people. It comes from God. We realize that every good and perfect gift is from above. And during worship, we come to understand that God himself is the source of every blessing, every material blessing, but also every spiritual blessing. The Bible says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And true blessing comes from the means of grace. And we talk about the means of grace, the word of God being preached, uh, the singing of praises and prayer to God and the observance of the Lord's Supper and baptism, these are also what we call means of grace. And so these are available to us primarily when we gather together for corporate worship. John Newton said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear.'" And grace comes to us through the means of grace. 
the ordinary means of grace, the administration, the sacraments, the preaching of the word and prayer primarily. The prophet Isaiah refers to the, to the means of grace, I think, in Isaiah 2, in verse 3. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, to worship. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word of God is the primary means of grace. And so the corporate worship on the Lord's day, this is a day of blessing. You know, the Puritans used to call it the market day of the soul. This is when we really get, uh, get fed and when blessings abound. And this is where we learn to fear the Lord. Don't expect God to bless your work and bless your family if you neglect the worship of God on the Lord's day. If, if we infrequently attend worship and we make it only a, a, a secondary thing in our lives, uh, don't expect to God, for God to bless your marriage and your children. Well, why do we meet on this day, the first day of the week? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And what happened uh, after the resurrection? Uh, the disciples saw Jesus ascending into heaven, right? And the angel spoke and said, why are you gazing into heaven? He's going to come back. But he ascended on high, the right hand of the Father. And why did he do that? Why was that necessary? Jesus said, it is necessary for me to go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit, so I can pour out my blessing. And, and, and remember, Paul said in Galatians that the blessing of Abraham is the gift of the Spirit. But God's covenant was established, uh, the cost of Christ's blood, and the resurrected, risen, ascended Lord pours out blessing upon His people, especially when we gather in His name and on His day. You see, when we come together on the Lord's day, it says we value that blood that was shed. It says that we understand that we need that grace that flows from His cross. Psalm 20, verse 2 says, May He send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Do you need help? Do you have a, you know, weakness in your life and weariness? Then His help and His strength are found in Zion, in the church, and in the worship of God. Psalm 122 is another great psalm of ascent. And verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Is that your desire? When you woke up this morning, did you say, I'm glad it's Sunday. I'm glad I get to go to the house of God. Because when we gather here for worship, God is present in a very special way. You know, God himself is the blessing. He himself, a relationship with him. So we draw near to him in worship. And, and we know that he will draw near to us. Can you identify with the psalmist in Psalm 84, verse 2? My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh, my heart cry out for the living God. Is that, is that true in your own heart? Or do you think there's something else that will satisfy you? You know, C.S. Lewis rightly said that, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are far too easily pleased. This is it. Right here, right now, the presence of God among His people. What have we done today? We have gathered in His presence. 
We've confessed our sins. We've received the forgiveness of God. We have rejoiced and praised His name. We have prayed together, and God has heard. We have observed baptism with a covenant family, rejoicing in God's gift and blessing. We have heard the Word of God. The Word of God, which the Bible says is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is powerful that it convicts us and that it builds us up in our faith. And what do we do at the end of the service? We hear God's blessing read over us. Do you see? God desires to bless the one who fears Him and walks in His ways. God does not. He is not a stingy God who is wanting to withhold those. He wants to give them to you and to me. Do you want His blessing today? Again, I urge you to receive His Son because there is where His blessing comes. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to teach you to fear His name. You you need to learn. I need to learn to fear Him. Our nation, why has it gone down so and, and become what we wish it hadn't become? Because we've lost the fear of God. Let us return to the Lord's house on the Lord's day, week after week after week, and learn the fear of the Lord. He will enable us to walk in His ways. Let us pray. Father, as we reflect upon these truths of the good life, I pray that You would teach us to fear Your name. We want to walk in Your ways. Part of us, Lord, is saying, no, we don't want that. But we resist that. We resist and mortify the indwelling sin by the help of your Spirit so that we can walk in your ways, learning to fear your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, your resurrection. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that for your covenant faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, for the generational faithfulness of families who have taught their children and their children's children to fear you. May we continue that faithfulness ourselves. Father, may we do so not only in our own families, but in the, to reach out with the gospel to those families that don't know Jesus. Give us those opportunities this week, Lord, to share some of those blessings with those who don't have them, who don't understand uh, anything about them. Uh, we ask you to bless our efforts. In Jesus' name, amen.